Thank you. Um, yeah, and thanks everyone for coming. Uh, as we said, um, I'm Will, lovely to meet you. I'm co-founder of Blue.Impact, which I will tell you a little bit more about later. Um, and I also co-founded the Cambridge Alternative Protein Society um, in 2018. Uh, and Lisa is currently the co-president of the Student Society and has been heading up our uh, project to develop an interdisciplinary research center in alternative proteins. So um, yes, we'll get cracking. One thing I'm keen to stress with this is we're using the Alternative Protein Student Society as a case study. Um, we really hope there are themes from this that can be taken into a variety of different disciplines. Um, the key things we're trying to, we're trying to emphasize here is with uh, local initiatives and local groups, you could be starting small, but it's fantastic to try and think big and think where you can go beyond your local environment. Um, also keen to stress to kind of learn by doing. Uh, it's often quite easy to get um, paralyzed by trying to plan the entire project in one go. Um, and often we've found that kind of just starting ahead and seeing what works and what doesn't, getting really quick feedback on what you're doing uh, helps develop kind of better, better projects. Um, and the other learning that we've taken from both of these projects is to really, really try and understand your stakeholders, the people you're interacting with, what do they need, how can you help provide it to them, um, and kind of what's their story. Uh, yeah, I'll hand over to Lisa to explain a little bit more about the context of alternative proteins specifically. Thank you. So hi everyone, also from my side, and I just wanted to quickly rattle through two slides to give you a very, very brief intro into all proteins themselves. And so um, basically here we are just showcasing that today's animal, industrial animal agriculture really sits as the intersection of a couple of really pressing issues we need to face as humanity right now. And one of which um, concerns the environmental devastation. So we're talking about greenhouse gas emissions, land use, water pollution, etc. Second one is all about the um, global food security and simply um, attaching uh, talking about this notion that the way how we create our food right now, especially meat, is actually really inefficient because we grow crops, feed them to animals, and then we only consume the animals. And that's really just not a, it's, it's simply impossible to sustain a growing world um, population with this strategy. The next one is about preventing um, future pandemics. Because if you can imagine, if you put together a high density of animals and humans in a building, this is basically the perfect incubator of future pandemics, and um, we need to solve that. And last but not least, also, it is all about the aspect of animal welfare, because at the moment we kill trillions of animals just to sustain ourselves, and this is also something that can be addressed with alternative proteins. So alternative proteins, when we refer to this umbrella description, we basically talk about three main pillars. Um, first one being plant-based products where you simply um, use plant structures, plant ingredients to um, form a product that mimics the, the structure and the taste and ideally also the nutritional content of meat. Second one we call um, cultivated meat. So here actually you work with proper cells. So I think the, the end product, it's fair to say, you really have a piece of meat made out of uh, muscle cells, fat cells, and a scaffold. And last but not least, there's another 
um, area focusing on fermentation and that itself is again more of an umbrella description how we can use microbes to either produce biomass itself for example by growing fungi or to produce really specific key ingredients um, using microorganisms. Just that as a, as a quick intro I hope that wasn't too new for you. Cool, handing over to you again. So um, as Joe mentioned, we initially started off as a student society that was just helping kind of bring together students interested in these topics, running socials, speaker, speaker events, pretty kind of classic student society type things. Um, after we came back together post-COVID, we decided to have a real reset and think more strategically about how we could be trying to alleviate some of the biggest bottlenecks to progress in alternative proteins globally, um, using our student, Cambridge student group as the kind of starting point. Um, there are a number of bottlenecks in the alternative protein space. There's kind of talent pipelines, how to get people skilled up and trained and into the field. Um, there's kind of open access research, especially at the time, a lot of the research in alternative proteins was being done uh, in kind of VC-backed startups. There was very little information sharing going on and it was drastically kind of holding back progress in the field, especially in areas that needed pre-competitive um, early stage research. Uh, there's various policy hurdles, um, interactions between companies and food safety regulators and how we can make that progress more efficient, uh, economic policy, how kind of farming subsidies play into this or economic subsidies for kind of new green technologies, um, public awareness and education around these products, uh, a bottleneck now that kind of wasn't there so much when we were discussing this back in 2021 was the availability of capital. Um, at the time, it was very easy for companies to get this kind of funding. Uh, in this current economic climate, it's a lot harder, um, and many more. And so one thing we were trying to work out is of these major bottlenecks to the field, which are the ones that we could try and address? Um, and we settled on these two top ones, uh, the kind of talent pipelines and uh, open access research. I'll be speaking a little bit on our projects to address the talent side of things, and Lisa will go on to our projects about open access research and leveraging the kind of Cambridge academic ecosystem. So, yes, these, these are our kind of two things. I'll be talking about the Alternative Protein Fundamentals course first. Also would like to stress that this is not a straight line. Um, this is one of the slides from our uh, strategic planning meeting back in 2021. I don't expect you to be, read, be able to read <laughs> any of those sticky notes, but more just to show you that it's, it was chaos. We were kind of brainstorming a lot of things. We had a lot of different ideas. Um, there were things there like trying to uh, start an academic journal focused on alternative proteins or trying to get an alternative protein section into other academic journals or hosting a UK conference for alternative protein academics. Um, and some of these we went a little bit down the line and kind of tried to scope out and realized quickly that they were probably outside of scope or we weren't best suited to do it. Um, so yeah, don't want this to feel like we picked two things and they went well straight away. Um, there was kind of a lot of umming and ahhing and trying different bits and pieces. So the Alternative Protein Fundamentals course um, is an online course uh, to help bring participants up to speed with the fundamental science behind the different alternative protein technologies, um, kind of policy and regulatory hurdles, and then put them in contact with uh, companies or research organizations or uh, policy groups looking to hire and just kind of really trying to streamline and make this talent pipeline as frictionless as possible. 
Um, in its current state, it's a kind of eight-week course. There's roughly two hours of reading each week and then an hour and a half of discussion sessions in a small group. Um, we then hosted things like a, a capstone project afterwards, which was a chance for participants to try and implement some of the learning they'd done over the course, as well as a careers fair with a number of different companies who were kind of showcasing the research they were doing and available kind of roles they, they were hiring for at the time. Um, so we've had two iterations of this so far. Uh, the first iteration was the pilot version in summer 2021, um, which was a collaboration between EA Cambridge and the Cambridge Alternative Protein Society. Um, there were about 30, 35 participants and seven facilitators. Um, of those 34 participants, uh, 11 of them are now working in the alternative protein space in some capacity. Um, so there was, a, there was a clear indicator that this was having some effect in getting people into the field. Um, obviously, it's not totally easy to work out the counterfactuals. These might have been people who already wanted to do it anyway and were just coming to our course as an easier route. But it was enough of an indicator that we thought we had something here that we were keen to move forward with. Um, for the second round of the course that we ran in early 2022, we collaborated with the Good Food Institute, who are a kind of large alternative protein nonprofit. They helped us develop more of the curriculum and build some of the resources in that, as well as helping us promote it, crucially. Um, and I think as a result of their help promoting, uh, we received uh, about 550 applicants for the second round of the programme, and they came from roughly 70 different countries around the world. Um, so it really had quite a global reach, this second round. We ended up accepting just under 400 of them. Um, and of the kind of people who ended up on the course, they were from 61 different countries. Um, there were a range of career stages, and as we were kind of working our way through the course, we were trying to work out how best to cater for each of them. Um, it was roughly 25% undergraduates, 30% postgraduates, and then there was this kind of big group of non-academic professionals who were either keen to switch careers um, or were already working in adjacent fields in some way, either as consultants or investors or as policymakers, um, and were keen to just learn more about this growing technology so that they could be better informed in the jobs they were already doing. Um, and there was also this community of six, uh, 76 facilitators who were helped guiding these discussions. In terms of the impact of that program, um, some of the high-level uh, kind of data that we've got um, is there was this question in the feedback form of how likely would you be to recommend participation in this program to a friend or colleague who's interested, which the average was 9.21 out of 10. Um, I think people are generally overly nice in these kind of surveys. Um, I highly doubt it was a 92% great course, um, but it was a nice indicator for us. Um, one really useful one was asking them before and after the course how likely they were to work on alternative proteins with their career, and on average that went up by about 16%. Um, and then when we went through people's LinkedIn data afterwards, tracking whether or not they had made career changes into the alternative protein space since doing the course, um, we had a roughly 10% like, conversion of people who were on the course. Um, in terms of some of the other impacts that are a bit harder to track, like connections that people made on the course that will become useful to them a few years down the line, there are a few other things that we think are there that are much harder to measure. Um, there was uh, the Good Food Institute have this program of alternative protein project student groups, um, and it was one of the things that we really encouraged undergrad students to do after the program is to set up their own student groups. 
of the latest intake of kind of 20 of those groups, 10 of them were founded by people who'd been through the course. Um, and having chatted to their uh, program, uh, the Good Food Institute's program leads on that, um, they were very excited that these people were coming in very high context, knew what the field was about and were able to communicate it with quite high fidelity. Um, it also initiated a special syllabus at the Norwegian University of Life Sciences where um, some professors got involved and taught the syllabus as a uh, course that you could do at the university for college credit. Um, as well as uh, a few policymakers who were on the course, there were six members of the UK civil service, one member of the Dubai government, one member of the Peruvian government, or civil service, um, and uh, chatting, kind of following up with a few of them, I think that has initiated various uh, discussion and working groups within those governments, kind of focusing on those technologies moving forward. So from this, um, since we ran it the last time, we decided we had kind of uh, a really great uh, system here, or there was a lot of potential to do something big with it. Um, so we founded a new project called Blue.Impact, whose goal is to run these kind of programs at scale, increasing the professionalism, and really trying to reduce the friction of these uh, kind of talent pipelines into really high impact fields. Um, we kind of, through our own experience trying to get into these fields and talking to loads of people um, who were in similar positions, we decided to focus on three specific features of our courses um, that felt the most important. Uh, these were kind of knowledge in that in a lot of these fields, um, uh, people are, there's kind of a lot of information out there and it's quite hard to know what to read and when and what depth of information you need to know. And so having these um, kind of curricula for people to follow um, was really important. There was the network part of things, kind of knowing who to talk to, both in terms of finding a mentor or um, some kind of peer who is going to help uh, push you to apply for certain jobs or be some kind of accountability buddy or work through certain exercises or curriculum with you. Um, and then clearly signposting the downstream opportunities. So what we're building are these high quality learning experiences at scale um, for people who want to help solve certain global problems. Um, in terms of the knowledge, as I mentioned, we're building these kind of expert constructed curricula uh, to help people learn about, the, about these impact, high impact fields. Um, throughout the course, we have these curated online communities for people to meet and collaborate with others who are keen to work in the space. Um, and then in terms of the downstream opportunities, we're building out these pipelines where participants are clearly signposted to opportunities to upskill or pursue uh, certain areas of the, pro of, the, of the field and kind of building really strong relationships with the organizations and uh, other companies kind of downstream who participants might want to go into. In terms of our current courses, um, the Alternative Protein Fundamentals is one of three courses that we run. Um, I am kind of the Alternative Proteins guy in the team, uh, but we also run similar courses on AI safety and biosecurity, pandemic prevention. Um, so you might have heard of the AGI safety fundamentals. Uh, we're also working on a biosecurity fundamentals that is probably going to be coming out in the summer. Um, and basically since last year, we focused a lot on working with uh, pedagogy professors, improving our kind of science of learning during the activity sessions of the course. Um, we've been building up our relationships with kind of other organizations that we can funnel participants towards uh, and building up a lot of our back-end software systems so that we're able to run really excellent participant experiences at larger scale. 
Um, in terms of our current steps, we're currently running the AGI safety fundamentals. We've scaled it down quite a lot to really focus on making the participant experience excellent and, taking, and testing out a bunch of our new systems before taking it across to the other programs and potentially scaling them up. In terms of how you can find out more, um, you can go to blue.impact.org or feel free to email me at will at blue.impact.org. Um, this is our little four-person team so far. Um, we're always on the lookout for excited, exciting people who want to get involved with this mission and are keen to join. Um, generally, we're looking for all types of skills. Software engineering and web development would be fantastic. Um, any sort of subject-specific knowledge is also really useful. Uh, but generally, we just want very exciting, engaged, competent generalists um, who are willing to get their hands dirty in, in doing all different parts of it. Um, and with that, I think I'll hand over to Lisa. Thank you. Cool. So in the second part of, of our talk here, I would like to take you through another project that we've been running here in Cambridge. And I would also like to encourage you to see that as another use case of how you can really leverage um, a local community in order to address global problems. And so, but before we dive a little bit into the details, I just wanted to give you a bit more context on our local student group around alternative proteins. Because um, a bit more than a year ago, we joined the GFI's um, All Protein Project. So we'll already introduced that the GFI, or Good Food Institute, is basically the major nonprofit in the field. And they launched a couple of years ago an initiative called the All Protein Project. Um, with the aim that they bring together student groups all over the world in order to turn basically their universities into engines to support um, alternative protein innovation, education, and also research. And here on that slide, I just want to give you a snapshot on how this network looks like at the moment. So we are currently 36 student groups all over the world. And you can see just in the middle there, uh, there's us, Cambridge University. And um, so we, as a global community of students interested in making a change in the old protein space, we basically operate alongside um, five core objectives that I just wanted to touch on briefly. So the first one being that um, basically we simply aim to raise awareness of the current problems of our food system and then also educate people or introduce people into potential solutions that are offered by alternative proteins. The next one, simply being around building an engaged community, just getting people on board, having a good environment for learning, for exchange, and sharing with like-minded people, not only students, but also professionals, and simply people who are, who are interested in the field. Um, the next one revolves basically around the bottleneck that Will is basically approaching with Blue Dot, because it would be really impactful if we could establish um, degrees at universities around sustainable foods or alternative proteins to close really this, this gap in the talent pipeline. The fourth one revolves around innovation and basically enabling a smooth transition from in innovations into being commercialized and then being translated into real world impact and products. And last but not least, and that's basically the, uh, the objective I want to go into a bit more details now, is um, that it's really, it would really benefit the system or the field as a whole to stimulate open access research. 
And here I just want to spend a few sentences on why we need academic research to benefit the alternative protein field. And um, as we already touched on, is that the alternative protein field is very young and it's rapidly growing. But this growth is really fueled by huge investments from the private sector, mainly by VC money. And this basically creates an environment, as you can imagine now, that uh, where basically information sharing is hugely de-incentivized. And so this makes the scenario very likely that all these emerging companies are working on the same problems and basically all need to reinvent the wheel, the wheel themselves because they don't share information. And that's actually a really inefficient way how to bring alternative proteins um, yeah, into, into action. And so our vision here is really what this field needs is a foundation of pre-competitive, openly available data from which on then companies can come and take their innovations further to market. But um, just naming examples, it would be really helpful to know which cell lines work for cultivated meat. Are there certain differentiation protocols? Are there certain methods to, to make your plant-based product into a certain texture and structure? that it mimics meat properly. So these are just examples. And um, so that motivation basically led us to start this project that we call Academic Mapping Project uh, with the goal to really launch an interdisciplinary alternative protein research center here in Cambridge to exactly address this key bottleneck here. And um, coming back maybe also to the points what we wanted to address here in this talk is that we are really learning by doing because we are doing pioneering work. At the moment, no alternative protein research exists in Cambridge. So what we need to do first is basically understand what is the ecosystem of the university right now. We need to understand and we need to find the nodes in the system. What are the people we need to talk to? Are there already other organizations that we could speak to as potential collaborators? Um, are there funding bodies which we could um, make use of, for example, to really bring projects into actions? And another crucial point is really to understand what are actually our strengths at our university that we can bring forward to really tackle the crucial bottlenecks in the old protein space most effectively. And here I just want to show you this, this table and highlight really that the alternative protein space is really highly interdisciplinary. And so here you can just see um, di relevant disciplines for key um, alternative protein science and technology. And of course, there is a lot of bioscience going on, but it, this is basically merged by engineering, chemical engineering, computer science. And I also just added um, the social dimension of alternative proteins. Because if you can imagine, even if we had the perfect product with the perfect taste and the perfect nutritional content, this product still needs to go through the regulatory pipeline and in the end still needs to be accepted by the consumer. So, um, yeah, we really need joint forces from an interdisciplinary background. And this was also a consideration now for us here in Cambridge that we do have already a strong background in the variety of these disciplines applicable to all proteins present. And um, this these uh, network exists already also in close proximity to opportunities where people can spin out uh, innovations from the university that then basically translates into real-world products. 
Um, so this was one, one reason why we started this project. But at this point, I also just want to be really honest with you because of course we are a Cambridge-based student initiative and because we are here, we wanted to leverage our presence in Cambridge, our network, and that's also a reason um, next to these rational reasons why we chose Cambridge to start this project. Okay, so now I just want to briefly take you through our journey, basically, share our approach, how we went about uh, understanding our current situation in the university ecosystem. And I, here I really want to highlight that all basically starts with getting helpers on board, ideally with an interdisciplinary background, because the challenge is that we set out now um, and we need to find people in the ecosystem whose skill set are relevant to address key bottlenecks in the alternative protein space. And this means we need people on board that understand basically the skill set of these very various people. And um, our approach was also that we wanted to match the skill sets of potentially interested researchers with um, concrete problems. And um, for, to understand basically the bottlenecks that currently need to be solved in the space, we worked or we made use of a, of a really helpful resource from the GFI. It's basically a database where they call, they call it white spaces. And there they have a long list of problems um, that need to be addressed currently to progress the field. And um, you can identify the ones that can be potentially addressed by academics. And so we basically, as a team, we learned first about these existing bottlenecks. And with that knowledge, we set out, browsed through the departmental websites, through Google search, through LinkedIn, to find people whose skill set could be matched to these problems. And um, then in the next step, oh, I see it's 111. <laughs> in the next step, uh, we reached out to these people. And um, I also wanted to add here at this point of the presentation that this part of the project took us a year. And um, I think the whole project has been running now for one and a half years. And I want to highlight that um, when we stepped into the outreach phase, we wanted to make sure that we really did our homework in the sense that um, for some of these academics, it might be the first exposure to the alternative protein space. So we were quite um, aware that we just wanted to make that as, as competent as possible uh, from our side. Another thing I want to mention is we reached out to group leaders, so rather to senior scientists, because ultimately we, we thought that our impact could be biggest like that, because in the end, group leaders need to change their, their research or we wanted to pursue them to change part of their research to all proteins. So that's why we, we just approached them and not junior positions. Okay, and next, I mean, I touched it on already a little bit, but I just wanted to share some challenges with you that we encountered along the way. And one, um, the, yeah, one is really that um, digging through the complexity of a university can be quite a challenge. And um, because, of course, we have departments with certain focus areas, but really the labs that could be relevant are scattered all over the place. And I would see this also as a the mapping itself is still an ongoing process because we are still learning and hearing about new people who could be interested for us to talk to. Secondly, I wanted to make you aware that the approach we are taking is basically a bottom-up approach. So because we are a student group, 
um, we as students talk to academics and then try to convince them to pursue alternative protein research. So we are simply limited also in our credibility to do that. And um, the contrast to that would be a top-down approach, which you can do if you have a lot of money. You can just say, okay, look, I built my old protein research institute, and then you let them come. But of course, we are not in the position to do that. Um, thirdly, it was also a limitation that some of the academics, for them, it was the first exposure to the field. So they had limited pre-existing knowledge. So we also just needed to be aware that even though we are really bought into the idea, some people, for them, it's quite new. So we just needed to be aware of that in our communication with them. And last but not least, I think the biggest hurdle is really the lack of concrete funding opportunities. Because we are encountering a problem now where we have kind of a chicken and an egg problem that funding bodies, they want to see successfully run projects in the space to, in order to give more funding, whereas researchers can't do research if they don't have funding. So that's a little bit, well, who, who steps in first? And to build the bridge for whoever wants to step in first, our approach was to bring all the crucial ingredients into one room. And so actually a little bit more than a week ago only, we hosted an alternative protein workshop here in Cambridge. And um, our goal was really to bring together the interested academics that we um, talked to in our outreach phase and to match them because they are not experts yet. They, we matched them with UK-based field experts. So they could basically exchange um, what are the critical bottlenecks that need to be solved and also just simply building up the network amongst collaborators. And we also um, brought into the place representatives from funding bodies, for example, the BBSRC or the GFI itself. And uh, we're just basically incubating them in, in the workshop. And ultimately also for us, we just wanted to get a feeling, is there interest, is there momentum to ultimately launch an interdisciplinary research institute in alternative proteins here in Cambridge. And um, so for the next steps, we really want to, so this workshop was successful. We had um, 35 participants. It was quite small scale, so we had 15 um, group leaders from, from Cambridge, um, UK-based field experts and representatives from, from funding bodies. Um, but we, yeah, we are really keen now, this momentum that we could generate to keep that going. And our vision now for the next steps is to maintain and grow this network um, to keep an eye open for funding calls because we expect that the UK government just starts to be interested in funding alternative protein research. So we keep on our eyes open and bring basically these opportunities into, the, into this network, into this growing network. And last but not least, I think it is also important now for us to gain a little bit more traction within the university ecosystem itself to get some more credibility. And for us here in Cambridge, there's something that's called Strategic Research Network, which aims really um, to build an interdisciplinary field um, and that addresses big challenges. And so to close, I just wanted to show you this map of um, the GFI AP, so Old Protein Projects 2020 and now comparing it to 2022. And I, I, I just wanted to leave you with the story that 
even if you start small, you can grow, especially if you are embedded in, this, in, the, in a cluster of other local initiatives all over the, 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 the globe. And um, yeah, so just coming back to our themes, I hope we could inspire you to think big with your local initiative, to be brave, to sometimes take steps, reasonable steps, but because we are pioneering, we are doing pioneering work, it's not always clear where we need to go, but to just have an efficient feedback learning loop. And um, of course, also just to understand in which environment are you actually operating. So another thing just to close to, to mention is that this is only an example in the alternative protein space, which can be applied to other course areas too. So we really hope we could inspire you and if you have questions or thoughts or ideas, please get in touch with us. And thank you for your attention. Do we have some time for questions? Yeah, I think four-ish minutes left for questions. Yes. Um, questions will be through the talk bag. Oh, OK. But we have a microphone, right? So yeah. we could just, if anyone has urgent questions right now, um, feel free to share. Yeah, over there. Um, I think in terms of the space more broadly, it's uh, a lot of um, a lot of people who were who are capable of facilitating scale up of these technologies. A lot of these technologies are at kind of bench or pilot scale right now, and so a lot of the companies that we are talking to are looking for um, kind of chemical or process engineers who have experience in other similar industries, either in food or in uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, or in kind of supply chain management and, and those kind of difficulties associated with scaling up because a lot of these startups are primarily comprised of bioscientists who are the founding team who kind of built their bench scale product and are now facing all of the scale up challenges. Um, in terms of whether people with an EA mindset can plug that gap better than others, um, I think for scale up stuff generally, it's just anyone who has that experience. I don't think it matters hugely whether or not they are thinking kind of in an EA way about it and kind of actually bringing more people from outside of that movement into this space may uh, kind of enable us to find those skill sets better. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on EA specifically. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think you covered it pretty well. <laughs> I, I think maybe one thing I'd be keen to say is there is I'm, I'm wary of there being some kind of value drift in the, in the field generally of um, companies that kind of initially went into it with uh, the kind of best intentions and um, some kind of, uh, kind of positive uh, social benefit to their company as well that might um, pivot towards as kind of financially things get harder and potentially less desirable outcomes either in terms of um, not actually ending up ending factory farming or kind of taking off 
uh, the kind of large share of the market that they intended to, um, or by rooting down kind of other technologies that might address some of the uh, benefits of alternative proteins, like for example, using insects as food or feed might solve a bunch of the environmental issues, but might make a lot of animal welfare substantially worse. And so I think in that kind of framing of ensuring value drift doesn't happen, it's important to kind of keep that moral perspective, but I don't have a great answer to like what jobs you can do to do that. I guess it would be regulatory or policy or something. Yeah, maybe I can just add regarding the skill set. Um, one crucial bottleneck is definitely the scale up, especially for cultivated meat, that's a big hurdle. Um, to make that feasible, but also for, for fermentation. But I think the field is also lacking some really groundbreaking innovations. For example, in cultivated meat, when it's about keeping things sterile, because of course we don't want to use antibiotics because that's used in animal agriculture. So we, we need to come up with really new inventions because right now um, things are kind of, they, they, they use the lab scale, what worked a small scale. I mean, I guess it's, it's still scaling up, but. Um, just to see the bigger picture of how can we implement food-grade um, conditions, because we don't need farmer-grade conditions, which would be way more expensive. How can we implement these to make a, a, a price, um, a, an affordable product, basically?